focusing in the month of June on courage. And, uh, you know, I think it's appropriate every once in a while to take uh, an attribute of Christ and uh, really examine our life by Him. And so the uh, part two of the message is just simply 20 seconds of insane courage. And uh, it would be helpful if you'd heard the lesson last Sunday because you'd understand what really is behind that. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this. Connie had a real opportunity this week to put 20 seconds of insane crap. I was out yesterday. I had a Bible study early yesterday morning. And uh, first thing in the morning, I was away from the house. And I got this text. And I took a picture of it so you could see it. This is, this is for real. And, uh, you know, basically, uh, it's a text that you often get in my household. Uh, just spotted, what does it say? Just spotted a good-sized water moccasin seemingly leaving our property just beyond the fence heading towards the trees. And, of course, I wanted to encourage her, so I said, nice, nice. And, uh, you know, I came home after a couple appointments, and I saw Connie, and I said, so you got your first kill today. And uh, so, you know, when I heard that, I said, well, we need part two today. We, we need more on this courage thing. And uh, so here we go, ready or not. Let's talk about our key scripture this morning. It's found in... 2 Timothy 1.7, and uh, we looked at this last Sunday, but this is really our, our theme scripture for the month of June here. For the spirit that God has given us does not, does not make us timid. Instead, the spirit fills us with power, love, and self-control. Isn't it great to know that God in his spirit gives us power. He gives us love. He gives us self-control. And he does not allow us to be enslaved to our natural timidity. And so this morning, I want us to look at a great example in the scriptures, as we will do this month, of individuals who, who had that 20 seconds, if you will, of just insane courage, and it not only changed their life, but it changed the life of those around them. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 this morning, and the setting is about 600 years before the birth of Christ. 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar is the very famous king of Babylon, one of the most powerful empires before the Roman Empire came about. And Nebuchadnezzar, as he came to the throne, actually attacks and he conquers Judah. Following his victory... Nebuchadnezzar ordered that the best and the brightest young men of Judah be deported to Babylon. Now, his plan was quite simple. 
His plan was to train these young men for three years, probably took up a missions contribution and helped fund their training that way. And uh, then he was going to, after training them for three years, give them some prominence and a position in his royal court. You may know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's not a law firm, by the way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three of those individuals. Three years of training in Babylon was really an attempt to brainwash those captives to uh, become so indoctrinated in Babylon culture that at the end of their three-year training, they would think and they would act like a Babylonian. That was the simple goal. Even the names of the young men were changed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not their Jewish names. Their Jewish names honored their God, not the God of Babylon. As you will see from this story, the Babylonians could change their name. But thankfully, he couldn't change their hearts. And they would remain loyal to the God of Israel no matter what. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three very young men, much like our teens in campus ministry. And yet, uh, they really faced one of the most difficult decisions I believe anyone could ever imagine. Disobey God and live Obey God, uh, obey uh, the Babylonians, and die. We read the story in Daniel 3, beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And it was set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. One of the many wonders of the world at that time. Can you imagine how imposing that statue would be? Then a herald shouted out, verse 4, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, probably an accordion, (laughs) bow down to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now the story goes on that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Unlike the other Jewish captives, they refuse. They refuse to bow down to this idol that has been set up. And as you can imagine, it's not too long before they're ratted out. And in a true fit of rage and anger, Nebuchadnezzar summons them into his presence. You can only imagine how intimidating that would be. 
And in verse 15, they're given a second chance to obey. It says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue. I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately, immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Now, last Sunday, we learned that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is simply fear that has set its prayers. And that was really the theme last Sunday. Not the absence of fear, but fear that has said its prayers. And when you say your prayers, the Holy Spirit has a way of filling your spirit. In Daniel chapter 3 then, in verse 16, we read on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, then God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. That, my friends, is 20 seconds of insane courage. Insane courage. I actually timed my reading of that passage, and their statement was exactly 20 seconds is how long it took me to read it. You see, they decided right there when the rubber met the road, where they were going to stand. Sure, there was preparation that led up to it spiritually. They probably, I'm just assuming, had their quiet time that morning. I know I'm reading into the text, but give me a little, little, little grace there. I think they probably prayed that morning. I know they were busy because they were running part of the Babylonian Empire, and it's a long commute, and they had to get out the door early. And maybe it was raining that week, and they thought, no time for a quiet time today. I just got to get to work on time. But I'm going to assume that there was some preparation that led up to that 20 seconds of insane courage. And you say, how do you know that for sure? Because courage is not the absence of fear, but rather It's fear that has said its prayers. They decided right there. They wouldn't bend. They wouldn't bow. And for that matter, they wouldn't burn either. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But it was a bee, so I thought that was pretty cool. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
what I really want to convince you of this morning is they were people just like us. They were young men, I have no doubt, who had hopes and dreams for their future. I think it's safe to say they wanted to live. They didn't want to die. But they were faced with such a difficult decision. Bow down to an image or be burnt alive. So here's a question for you and I to think about in that situation. I mean, would you send a text? Being asked to bow down here, not sure what I'm going to do. Man, we text about everything these days. I know if I was in their place, I'm going to be real candid. My first temptation, because I've had time to think about this, would be to rationalize why it wouldn't be so bad to bow down to the image. Yeah, I'm just trying to be real here. I mean, at least the thought would cross my mind. I mean, I want to live. I got a granddaughter. I want to live. You know, I'd rationalize it by thoughts like this, and I'm sure no one can relate to these thoughts in our society today as you're tempted to compromise with all the social and moral changes going on. I will bow down but not actually worship that idol. Or rationalize it like, I will worship this this one time and then ask God for forgiveness. Now, I'm sure you've never had a thought like that. Or you could say, this is a foreign land after all. God will excuse me because I'm just following the customs of the land. You know, obeying the government. My ancestors, well, you know, my, my relatives. You can always find a way out if you bring the relatives into it, okay? My, my ancestors, man, they set up idols in God's own temple. This isn't half that bad. I can do this. Or how about the thought if you're just the three and you're looking around at all the other Jews bowing down, hey, everybody else is doing it. Or how about I may get myself killed, I may get myself killed, and a pagan, an absolute heathen, not like me bowing down, but an absolute heathen, could take my position And then who would help my people in exile? That is a good one. That's why I saved it for last. (laughs) As we go through this mental gymnastics every week in our life, it may be when we're on the internet and we're looking at something we shouldn't be looking at. And and we get good at rationalizing, you know, I can bow down to this idol of impurity because I'm going to ask God for forgiveness later or I can get in and I can get out. I'll just do it this one time. 
or everyone else is doing it. I'm just telling you, let's keep it real here. Rationalization has kept a lot of us from 20 seconds of insane courage. You see, the real question is, can can your faith handle the fire? Because I'm telling you, it's burning out there. And that furnace in our lifetime in America is getting a lot hotter. And there have been a lot of wood put on that fire in this new millennium that's only 16 years old. Could your faith handle the trial, for example, of unanswered prayer in your life? Could your faith handle the trial of some kind of significant personal loss? It may be the loss of income. It may be the loss of job. It may be the loss of your health. It may be the loss of someone you dearly loved. Can your faith handle the trial of personal loss? Can your faith handle the trial of betrayal? If you live long enough, relationships, even in the body of Christ, will let you down. And so really, I bring us to our key thought this morning. This is what I want us to walk out of here understanding. If last week, courage is fear saying it's prayers, then here's your thought for this week. Courage comes from having a proper view of God. If you lack boldness in your life, real simple, you lack a proper view of God in your life. If you don't hold firm to the idols of this world, you, my friend, lack a proper view of God in your life. And we see this in Daniel 3 in verse 17 because here was the secret to their 20 seconds of insane courage. It says, they replied, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Man, don't you like their simple, young-hearted, innocent, naive view of God? You know, that childlike heart that we once had that God says all of us need to get again? They said, man, do what you must do. We worship a God that can do anything. Is anything really too difficult for God? I love this quote by A.W. Towser, a, a Christian author. And he's really correct when he says this. He says, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's why you are repeatedly encouraged to come to your own convictions about God. That's why 
If you've read through the Bible once in your lifetime, you need to do it again. That's why if you had a quiet time on February 22nd, 2016, you, you probably need to go ahead and have another one today. I mean, I'm keeping it real here. How you think about God determines everything about your Christian walk and how you're going to handle the furnace that you're going to walk into this afternoon when you walk out of here. What should we do when our faith is tested like theirs was tested? Well, we've got to focus on God and not just the facts. That's what they did. They focused on God because the facts, the facts were pretty daunting. The fact was, the king said, bow down. The fact was, they knew they couldn't. The fact was, the king was really, really angry. The fact was, hey, the furnace was really, really hot. The fact was, the king said, you're going in the furnace immediately if you do this. The fact was, if they would go into the furnace, they would die. The fact was, they didn't want to die. Those are the facts, okay? Don't let me confuse you with the facts. Focus on God. God said he would be with them. You say, where is that in the text? Well, that was their quiet time that morning. You see, you got to read your Bible if you want God to speak to you. God said that God would be more angry than the king. You know, it's kind of like when you really messed up as a young son and your mom was mad. And I'm an Italian mom. She could get pretty mad at times. I remember one time uh, I just, I just uh, was a little pyromaniac. And, and I was setting everything on fire. That's how Steven Spielberg started, okay? I built these little models in the backyard, and I burned them. I had a great career, and my mom ruined it. And I remember one time, uh, she just had enough. She caught me burning a, a little model in the backyard. And I remember to this day, like it was yesterday, she backed me up against the fridge, and, and, and she lit some matches, and she held them close to my face, and she says, you want to play with fire? And I thought I heard Scarecrow, but, but uh, you know, that's, I don't know. But to say the least, mom got mad. Yeah, it did sound like that Wicked Witch of the West's voice. But I will tell you, it was nothing compared to when my Italian dad came home. And let me just say, back in those days, it was legal to take your belt off. And I bear on my body the marks. And I think that's really the, 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 the perspective here as, man, the king is really angry. But God is going to be more angry. And I'll take my chances with the king rather than the king of kings. Even if he didn't deliver them. Their God focus said, hey, worst happens, we go to heaven. And it's a pretty quick death. 
And then they had history. I mean, they were in exile. What more history did you need? History always showed that it was always better to obey than disobey God. And sometimes we forget that, don't we? You see, you got to have a God perspective if you want to have courage. Courage comes from having a proper view of God. There's a problem with Christians today. And there's a problem, can I just be frank, with the church today. And that is an unworthy, an unworthy concept that we have of God. Or let me put it this way. For many of us, our God is just too small. Our mistake is we have created God in our image. We've got it backwards. We've created God in our image. And let me, let me convince you that I'm right here. So here's what I would say about our image problem with our God, how we view our God. If your God description, your God's job description reads, make my life more comfortable and convenient, then your God is too small. If your God says things to you like, well, don't take a risk, play it safe, stay close to the shore, your God, if your God's job is to obey you and do what you want, When you want him to do it, if your God, in other words, is a genie that exists to grant your wishes and make your life easier, then I'm just here to tell you your God is way too small. If your God operates on your timetable, if you keep his calendar for him, then your God, I'm telling you, is too small. If your God loves Americans more than he loves Iranians, and some of you have that God, if your God is always saying come but never saying go, then your God is too small, friends. If your God never wrecks your schedule, or messes up your plans. If your God never asks you to do something that isn't in the budget, if your God needs a certain president to be in office to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in this nation, then I'm telling you, your God is way, way too small. If your God, if your God has never filled your eyes with tears because of his grace or taken your breath away because of his power, then your God is too small. If your God's dream for your life is to retire and spend a couple of decades taking it easy, then your God is too small. 
if your God always agrees with you and always thinks and defers to your opinions and your preferences, if he thinks you are the most reasonable and he always likes what you happen to like, that's a real sign that your God is too small. If your God is just fine, I mean really, just fine, with you spending an hour and a half at church each week, and then another hour, hour and a half on Wednesday nights, then your God is way too small. If your God looks at your sin of greed, of lust, of gossip, and says, whoa, it's no big deal. You're better than most people around you. Then I'm here to convince you your God is too small. And if your God says your marriage, your marriage is too messed up, and your family is too fractured, and you are too old, or you are too young, or you are too broken, or you're too shy, or you lack talent, or you don't have a spouse, or you don't have adequate leadership over you, then I'm just saying your God is way, way too small. If your God fits really nicely in a box, well, then that's not your God. He doesn't come from Amazon Prime. He's fast, faster than Amazon Prime, but he doesn't fit into a box. That's not your God. And when you open it up and you find out that he's not there, well, it's because he doesn't do boxes. And we need to take our God out of our box. And we need to let God be God. And realize God is God. I am not. And everything is okay with the universe. But I'm just trying to convince you what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had really deep convictions about is we got to put our focus on God, not on the facts. Because the facts, like fatigue, they make cowards of us all. God could have chosen, and he can choose, to deliver us. But let me give you something that's pretty insightful. God often chooses to deliver us in the furnace, not from the furnace. Verse 19 says, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. And he commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Why am I thinking about my mom here? (laughs) Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their 
pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, well, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. God decided the furnace, not from the furnace. When was the last time you heard someone going through a hard time say, I grew closer to God when my life was free, free from pain and suffering? But you know, ease doesn't make us grow. And it's interesting that the church is often one response to suffering is to pray that it be taken away. Nobody's first prayer is help me to use this to become more Christ-like. Oh, that may be fifth, sixth, seventh down the list, but our first inclination is get us out of the furnace. Save us from the furnace. You know, it's amazing, nothing quite turns us to God quite like suffering does. Rather than take us out of the game, I want you to understand suffering puts us in the game. God uses suffering to refine us. And as I close out my thoughts, let me give you some examples. He uses it To purge sin. To purge sin from our lives. God uses suffering to strengthen our commitment to him. He uses it to force us to depend on his grace. To bind us together with other believers. To produce discernment. To foster sensitivity to discipline our minds, to impart wisdom, to strengthen our character, to cause us to know Christ better, to make us long for the truth, to teach us to be grateful, to increase our faith, and finally to remind us that this world is not our home. The most beautiful people we have known are the people who have known defeat and suffering. Struggle. Known and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation a sensitivity, and understanding of their life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. You know, I love verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you, But if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve 
is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. We need more, even if he doesn't, courage. God can rescue me from cancer. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down. God can turn a child's heart back to him. But we've got to have the attitude, even if he doesn't, I refuse to be on this roller coaster of emotions and bow down. God can restore my marriage. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down. God can open my parents' hearts to the gospel. And we've seen examples of that. But even if he doesn't, I refuse to bow down. God can cause me to prosper. But even if he doesn't, I will not bow down to the greed of the world. We need more, even if he doesn't, courage. Well, the story ends with a fourth being In the furnace. Great debate on whether it's an angel. Great debate on whether it's the incarnation of Christ himself. I thought a great sermon title on any other occasion would have been fourth man in the furnace. Because the bottom line is Nebuchadnezzar literally jumps out of his robe when he sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego having fellowship in the furnace, we know they're true disciples, right? And they're fellowshipping with a fourth being that looks like the son of a god. And the Bible says that in verse 26, and I'll close with it, the Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted. Man, he wasn't going to make the same mistake of his guards. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. So they stepped out of the fire, it says. Verse 27, then the high officials, officers, governors, and advisors crowded around them. And they saw the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed. And their clothing was hot scorched. Wow, they didn't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's army and were willing to die rather than to serve and worship any god other than their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race, our nation, our language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
they will be torn limb from limb. Man, this guy had some serious child-raising issues. <laughs> and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. 20 seconds. That's all it took. 20 seconds of insane courage. And you have the most amazing flip of events that you couldn't have even imagined in your wildest imagination. What's God going to put before you this week that will call for some courage? Remember, courage is faith that has said its prayers. And courage comes as we see from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, from having a clear and proper view of a God who's not too small. Amen. Let's pray.